0: and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Welcome back to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting to Leslie Martin. Leslie is the creative director of Aperture, And is responsible for some of their award-winning and iconic photo books. She's collaborated with the likes of Zanelli Maholi, Latoya Ruby Frazier, Richard Moss, Hank Willis Thomas, and Antoine Sargent to name just a few. She is also the publisher of the Photo Book Review, a newsprint journal dedicated to the evolving conversation surrounding the photo book, as well as always contributing to a number of projects within Aperture's ecosystem. In this conversation, we reflect upon the current state of photo book publishing and what it can offer a body of work. We talk about audience, the impact of self publishing, and how to decipher the most compelling pathway through a body of work. I love talking to Leslie about her experiences in publishing, her methodology, and as one of the leading editors in the industry, why she continues to find the format so generative. What I've always loved so much about your work is that you're constantly trying to create opportunities around the photograph on the printed page and what it means and how it operates. And it continues to be this very exciting era for photo books. They've kind of become this autonomous art form in many ways. And I wondered why the photo book continues to hold your attention and what that platform of the book means to you personally.
2: Yeah, I think what the platform of the book means to me personally is. Like many people, I did not grow up in a center of photographic culture or conversation. And so what I learned about photography and how I experienced it was through the book form. And those were fairly stodgy books now looking back. But, you know, there's always been something accessible about the form, at least in its theoretical, in the theoretical, right? That as Ed Ruscha says, the photo book is, you know, mass produced for mass distribution. Now that's not necessarily the case any longer as artists are experimenting and publishers are experimenting with scarcity and limited editions and really bespoke, unique forms. And that actually is also one of the reasons why it continues to hold my attention because it's a very prescribed form but people are eternally pushing against it trying to figure out how to hack it how to improve it and i think i i must like that sense of an understanding of the framework i know how a book works i know how a book is made but i'm always surprised when people come along and and kick the tires and find a new way of interpreting those default ideas. What can a page mean? What can ink on paper mean? You know, to me, there's there's a lot of possibility within these predetermined ideas of the book. And so I'm always interested in seeing, like, how far can you push those before it it really collapses and tips into something else? And I also really appreciate the community that has evolved around the photo book. And the idea of community, of course, is something that we all need to re-examine and think about what have we built and who have we invited
1: into that community,
2: which I think is an important question.
1: I'm particularly interested in how photo books can be this kind of framing device and a space to provide greater context around The photographic inquiry and and ways in which it can sort of bring up different dialogues and open new dialogues around the work. And I think this feels particularly poignant in our current moment, where, you know, there is a lot of question about ethics and responsibilities in photographic practice. And it's interesting to think about how the book could provide some of this critical context right now. And I wondered what your take on that is and if you think the book can kind of open that up in some way.
2: Yeah, I do think the idea of a book as a framing device is really key. Um, I I like to think of it as a binding agent. And what is really exciting for me and functions different from photographs hanging on the wall in a space which can be engaging in their own right, but that com- the ability to combine text and images is something that, lots of people have explored in great depth. And that's where the possibility of the photograph can really become very elastic. You know, words can contradict, words can confirm. And I do think that that's where a lot of questioning of the photograph, of the artist's intention, of the way the artist interacts with the subjects can be opened up and and also shaped you know this is this is the role of a great bookmaker is to provide a directed journey through a body of work via the combination of images the contextualizing information whether it's other types of illustrations or text or whatever it is um you know a, an image on the page is really almost a mute object if it sits by itself. And so a book can can really contribute just a much more robust set of contexts and other things for that image to bounce off against and to create new meanings.
1: I'm nodding very viciously. Yes. <laughs> yes. um, I'd love to hear about some of the projects that you're currently working on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think
2: I could talk about, I mean, I have an in-motion at this moment between, I mean, depending on how you count them, but between 12 to 15 actively developing projects. So I'll talk about one that has just wrapped and is at the bindaries as we speak. I'm knocking on wood. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's Sarah Swinar's, first monograph. And Sarah is a really amazing photographer whose work is about image making and our, our obsession with images and the way images shape us and the way our perception engages with an image. And she's also very research driven and theoretical in her thinking and she works between photography and film, so all of those things are are super interesting to work through and to translate into a book and She worked very closely with a designer, Aaron Knudsen, to f- shape the book around three films um, to track the narrative and unpack it with footnotes and other illustrations. so you really get a sense of these are the different elements that go into making up her work when you experience it in a space in the the moving image and then beautiful plate sections full of her super colorful, super graphically compelling and really smart images. Um, So it's a beautiful object. It's bound in a sort of faux red leather with foil gilding, gilded edges to the pages. So it's just it really fits her practice and serves her practice, and I love it when that happens. so I'm that is coming out in May, June, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how people respond to it. There's another book that I'm working closely with an artist, and this is very different, and this is another one of the things I love about aperture is that it's really a wide platform. So Sarah Swinar is somebody who really works in relation to images and art and film. And the other book that I'm going to talk about is by Jillian Laub, who is also a filmmaker, but is very much more in the tradition of documentary work. And she has been documenting her family. And her family sits now in this uh, space that so many American families do. It has been truly divided by Trump's rhetoric. And she is mapping the narrative of her family. It's a Jewish American family who has, you know, fulfilled their American dream. And now it's being torn apart by the same people and their own beliefs and what that dream is. So she's really digging deep. It's very personal. It's very vulnerable. It's also a great example of how narrative, the written narrative and images can function together. I think it's totally on point for this moment in American history. And she's also integrating some of her family photos, some of the crazy text exchanges that she's had with her family that I, as somebody who's had these text exchanges with my own family, I'm like, oh my God, this is so this really is revealing about where we're at. And so again, two very different books, but I'm really excited about both of them.
1: I'd love to talk a little bit about the photo book review, because this is another one of your kind of key projects. And while it is so mighty in kind of force and content, I feel like it flies a little under the radar, only because it's only accessible through the subscription to Aperture. Um, So for those people who might not be familiar with it, could you talk a little bit about what the review is and why it started? It's something that we
2: made. I was perpetually disappointed by not seeing art books, let alone photo books, reviewed in mainstream press outlets. The New York Review of Books, the London Times Book Review, You know, there's there's a lot of even book forum, which you would think as being the adjacent publication to art forum, would really get into artist books and books about art, and they just don't enough. So that was an idea percolating in my head in 2011. Julian Friedman, who was then the art director of Perifoto, approached Chris and I to create some sort of a photo book prize and then a way in which we could catalog that prize. So the first issue of the photo book review coincided with this 15 year prize that Perry photo created to recognize how photo books contribute to the evolving history of the medium of the photographic medium. And from there it's grown into a biannual publication that really tries to address the various different topics of importance to photo book makers, and trying to assess, like, w- what are we doing in this community? What's going on? There's always a guest editor. The guest editor generally comes with an area of interest, whether it's, again, Federica Chiochetti talking about text and image, Carmen Winant talking about feminism in the photo book. The most recent issue is guest edited by Deb Willis, who really looks at the contributions of Black photographers to the printed page? So it's it's kind of a great petri dish to just uh, ask people to contribute, and we do review books, of course, and to just meditate on what's what's happening from year to year. I've actually been looking back at it because we're approaching the ten year anniversary which is a little bit shocking to me that it's been in existence for 10 years. And and it really is kind of fun. It's like a snapshot of this so-called golden age of the photo book.
1: It's such a great publication and I love the collaborative aspect of it because it really allows you to dive into somebody else's perspective. And I've discovered so much through the photo book review, which I don't think I would have encountered otherwise. That's so nice to hear thank you well I also
2: you know that i I also appreciate that aspect of it, and it's really a sort of the greedy part of this is tell me more I want to hear more from other people who have their their fingers and their arms deep in this pie so um yeah it's i I have a platform I've created a platform and i I didn't certainly would be very tired of hearing my own voice after a while. I want other people to tell me what they're looking at and discovering and and I learn a lot, every
1: issue. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. It feels like the ecosystem surrounding photo books has significantly shifted in the last 10 years, perhaps even the last five years and even maybe the last two years. And I wanted to start by talking about audience, because it feels like it's one of the most important elements in publishing, but often gets forgotten, especially, I think, in a self-publishing context. I'm curious how you think about the current audience landscape for photo books, because I know there was always this joke that, you know, it was only photographers buying photo books. And I'm curious if you think we've kind of expanded beyond that now. I think it depends on the photo book.
2: And this is one of the things that I always when I teach, when I'm speaking with bookmakers, I do encourage people to think about the audience. And that's different from when you're making the work. Probably shouldn't think about audience when you're making the work. That's going to be a little bit inhibiting. But, you know, there's a publisher, Robert Gottlieb, who's talks about publishing as the act of publishing is essentially the act of making public one's own enthusiasm. So once you have a public, you have an audience. And then you have to think about how are you shaping this to communicate to that audience? And different audiences have different needs. And if you don't take that into account, you might very well be missing that expanded audience. There is, and I love the artist book dialogue the dialogues between artist bookmakers, but those can get very insular. They can become very expensive because there's a lot of bells and whistles, you know, Tippin's remarkable and ingenious binding methods that are super creative, but cost a lot of money. And I will defend those and they should exist. And I, you know, that's such an important driver for innovation in the field but let's not mistake the potential for those communicating to a larger audience for something that's a little more straightforward. And certainly, price point is very important to that. So, I do think audience is key. Can we evolve around or beyond the photo books for photo book makers? Is a super good question. And in fact, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I received from Marcus Schaden, who, you know, was one of the founders of the Photobook Museum, a book called The Photobook in Art and Society The Participative Potentials of a Medium. And mm-hmm. this is a super interesting year long, if not more, undertaking that he took on with the university to try to. Engage with this concept. Like, how do people, how does the average reader respond to a photo book? How do they encounter them? How do they literally read them? Does it make sense? The things that make sense to us in our self referential world, do they make sense to a public that hasn't had the benefit of understanding that this might be in? reference to Jim Goldberg's Rich and Poor, and this other element might be in reference to Donald Lixenberg's Imperial Courts, or whatever it is, you know, the more a photo book is predicated on the recognition of external references within the photo book community, the more insular it's going to become. And sometimes, again, super fun, super creative, super engaging in its own space, but that's not necessarily for the larger audience for a lot of different reasons. So, I mean, it's something we we talk a lot about at Aperture, where, you know, who is Aperture's audience? And we, I think we do try to recognize a wider range of audience. We're not driven by a single individual vision on photography. You know, we do try to reach people who might not necessarily consider themselves photo book geeks. And yet, at the same time, we're trying to also do really fun, artist-driven projects. But we still haven't cracked that question entirely, although we have had really tremendous success with books like The New Black Vanguard, which was targeted very concretely in its making to be a $50 book that could reach beyond what we had considered the traditional photo market. And it's now in its third reprint in a year and a half. And so that maybe that's the beginning of, you know, breaking through and reconnecting to other larger audiences at I mean, there's. it's fascinating when you look at the history of the photo book, there are books like Susan Mizellis' Nicaragua, which was printed by a mainstream publisher, and I think in a fairly big run. And those were moments when the subject was really what drove the audience. You know, people who were interested in Latin America and what was going on in, in Nicaragua came to that book because... That was a, a great resource for them. As the books start to get more and more focused on individual artists' vision, you're talking to people who are really interested in something a little more esoteric, it's sort of like the audience of poetry. You know, it's, it's limited and, and it's very specific to people who have identified themselves as that audience,
1: You touched on this at the beginning. While I love the photo book community, it's a vibrant space. It can sometimes, like lots of different parts of the industry, feel like a bit of an echo chamber or perhaps even a closed system to those who aren't within the community. And I wondered what's your take on how we could be extending and and kind of including new audiences into that? Because I think, you know, what you said before about the codes and and the codes of a photo book and how that speaks to somebody who's interested in that subject is very true. I think a broader audience perhaps would struggle with a fair amount of photo books in really getting into some of that contextual nuance that I guess is more in tune for people who are part of the community because of that referential element. So Obviously, the extension is so important, not just for the sustainability of the industry, but also because we don't want to be working in an echo chamber. We don't want to be talking to the same people. We want to grow and evolve. Have you got any thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's the responsibility of
2: people like myself to find different, um, different kinds of makers and different Types of designers. And, you know, it was very enlightening to me to work with Deb Willis on the last issue of the photo book review and to undertake a section, a feature called Notes for Future Study, in which we canvassed artists, curators, scholars, historians, what books had been left out of the photo book canon that should be inherently a part of it, that were made by Black photographers, or might have had a personal impact in their thinking about photography and the photo book, also, you know, coming from the Black community. And it was fascinating to me that really the history, there is a history, there is a lineage. It's not part of the mainstream narrative around the photo book. And there are a lot of blind spots towards books that were created and just got passed over for various reasons, and there's a there's a lot more catalogs and a lot fewer artist books that have become the focus of you know photo book connoisseurs in part because of opportunities in part because I think black photographers really appreciated and were very interested in making their way into the institutional spaces that would create catalogs for them as a way of kind of further establishing here we are. So, you know, there's these tremendous gaps and it's in part because people didn't create opportunities. Uh, the This conversation wasn't open to a wider set of individuals. And that's just talking about, you know, African, primarily African-American, but I think black diasporic creators around the world. But you know, there's tons of other, certainly women, you know, the the amount of photo books by women is far fewer than those um, created by men. And I think the project that Russet Letterman and Olga Yastovich, and I apologize, Olga, I've probably butchered your, your name, but 10 by 10 photo books has created this amazing project called How We See, and that is going to become a larger project looking at the creativity of women as photo bookmakers. So this is a very long answer to your question, but I think just the act of recognizing and establishing that lineage is going to encourage, I think, more contributors from these other perspectives outside of the closed system and the echo chamber that has evolved around the photo book. I mean, even as a as a woman who's in the business i mean there's increasingly a lot more women of my generation but before that forget about it very few and far between
1: I personally do believe it's really important to use books as a way of engaging the public in photography. But I guess the counterpoint to this pressure is how much image makers now feel like they have to make a book, especially emerging photographers who are still very much trying to find their voice. And but that the pressure for them, like the book has become this thing they have to do, which almost validates their practice. And it comes up a lot when I mentor people and when I meet new photographers, and I feel like I'm constantly trying to encourage them to stand back and really consider if the body of work they're thinking about turning into a book should be a book, Um, because I think the desire to make a book often overrides the nuance of what the format can offer a body of work. And I wondered if that's something that you're encountering a lot, and if so, what advice you would give to people at that sort of conundrum?
2: Yeah, well, I think there is a big difference between I need a book because this is the way the world works right now and if I just keep making my work, then one day boom, I'll get a book given to me or I I don't know. It's sort of um it's I think often viewed as an add-on instead of an integral part of practice of a of a photographer's practice. And I really try to encourage people to engage with the idea of what happens when you put your images onto the page in a sequence, whether it's through a zine or one of the print-on-demand systems available, because you learn so much. I think that you really learn once you've created a body of work, or even in the midst of creating a body of work, by starting to think of it in a sequence and what other material might help support the undertaking and the message and the the atmosphere or whatever it is that you're trying to create, don't wait for somebody to sort of drop the opportunity in your lap. Start doing it yourself now. And those don't have to be put out into the public, actually, you know? There's a lot of room for playing with making dummies and playing with making books for yourself. And so I think that also can alleviate this pressure, like, oh my God, I got to create something that's going to somehow miraculously turn into this best-selling book that everybody's raving about. And just by engaging in, what does this mean to me? What does it offer me as a creator, as somebody who's making work, how does this bring it all together, I think can be really valuable. And hopefully also helps to short circuit some of that anxiety, because it's not a foreign language that you're suddenly asked to deliver a master thesis in, you know, making photo books and the photo book is a language, there's a specific architecture, there are specific terms for you know, the way you put an image on the page, there's strategies that you might learn through observing and really reading and looking closely at a photo book. But that's nothing like getting your feet wet, putting things together in InDesign, printing them out, just cutting them out and taping them into a notebook, whatever it is. I think that's really important as this the the pressure does increase to Not let it remain something out there, but maybe something more integrated into how you work with your images after you make them.
1: Yeah, I think there's something really powerful in that, actually, in using it as a tool for yourself. Yeah, and thinking. Yeah, you, creating a space to think and consider and reflect upon a body of work, which might be a work in progress or something that you're, you know, perhaps feeling like it's, I don't think anything's ever complete, but, you know, getting towards that stage is where you're ready to share. It's a really interesting idea to, to explore that and kind of give yourself the freedom to see how it communicates and sits within that format. I think that's a really interesting idea. I feel like one of the things that comes up quite a lot is that a great body of work can be served up in so many ways. There are, there are sort of endless ways to tell that story. And so I'm curious what your methodology is when you're trying to decide on the most compelling path through a body of work, which I realise is like the most annoying open-ended question and, and completely nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if there's anything that kind of comes up, I'd be, yeah, be interested to hear.
2: Well, no, I do think that there's something that's really important to recognize, that a book could potentially go in so many different directions. And, you know, I think a great manifestation of that was the book that was published, I think, in 2019. And actually, it took the shape of three books. And it was published by the Beijing Silvermine with the artist Kensuke Koike. And for some reason, I'm not immediately able to recall the name of it, but there were three different books that came from the exact same body of work. So the artist and Thomas Savan who runs the Beijing silver mine asked three different publishers to take these images and to create something on their own, not in dialogue with either Thomas or Kensuke. And you have three entirely different books. And this is a really incredible example of just understanding that books can be anything. So what's the way that you decide on the best path through a body of work? This is also something I spend a lot of time trying to introduce to students when I do workshops or in the teaching that I do. You have to come up with a concept, with a guiding set of principles, because if you just drop your work off into the lap of an, a designer, then they're the ones who are in the driving seat. And ideally, and I think this is what happens organically, is that a designer will start to ask really good questions and the photographer will start to answer them or the editor or whoever it is that, that the artist is working with. So that once you start to understand, oh, this is what the artist is trying to do with this work, you then come to realize, oh, this is really something that's meant to be readerly. You know, you you really want people to open it up and read this book, not just look at the beautiful photograph. So it should be small in size. You know, it shouldn't be ginormous. or uh, the other thing is I do encourage people to think about the audience because then you also have a set of limiting, parameters there that emerge. You need to keep it affordable. And if you keep it affordable, that means it also can't be gigantic in size. And it also can't have all the bells and whistles you necessarily need. So yeah, it's like phototherapy in a way when you start out (laughs) a book is trying to figure out what is the intention and how is that going to be best made physical?
1: Yeah, it feels particularly poignant to have that conversation because also a body of work is never fixed. It's always shifting. The context in which the work is read is always shifting. And that's what's so miraculous and fantastic about photography. But it's interesting after and still being in, um, you know, a pandemic and a social justice movement, which has completely shifted so many different real world ways of being, I guess. And yes. I'm curious, you know, when you're working on an idea for a book, how do you navigate that shifting real world context? How do things change in the making of the things, which is, which is a really vibrant space, actually, I think.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting, because the Jillian Lau book that I mentioned earlier had been intended to be published in 2020. But because it is so engaged with the current moment in which we live, we realized, oh, this story isn't over yet. So we pushed it in order to be able to catch up and and try to work through like, okay, as the era of Trump, thank God, comes to an end, then <laughs> you know, perhaps, again, now we're maybe a little bit in question about that. But what does that mean for this narrative. So yeah, the work of an editor, I think is to be somebody who can effectively take the temperature of what's happening in the world, what's happening, what's happening in photography and what needs to be a book that reflects those developments, those currents, just trying to be aware and reflective of the realities of one's world. Cause that's what photography does also is mm-hmm. photography is a vehicle To connect, to understand, and to communicate about the world, even though some artists really will vehemently reject the world communication in relation to their work.
1: You you mentioned a little earlier about that sort of vital relationship between a designer and a photographer when they're in the process of sort of collaborating. And we're obviously in a stage where self-publishing is booming and, and a really viable option for a lot of photographers. And, and in that, photographers are increasingly casting themselves as the designers or the editors or becoming co-publishers as much as the author of the work. And I wondered how you see that affecting the industry in terms of the evolution of photo book publishing?
2: Well, I do think it's interesting to see the way in which the narrative around the photo book as an autonomous art form and as a really important vehicle for an artist's work has has made artists realize like, oh, I better get a little better understanding and be a little more present in this process. And, you know, some people are really good at doing that. Some people are, you know, Paul Graham is somebody who I think famously more or less designs and certainly sequences his own books and decides where they go on the page. And there's no underlying grid and they just sort of, they are exactly where they need to be. Wolfgang Tillmans is somebody else. You know, I I think there are others who can do design and editing And there are others who can't. And I think that's a really important and uh, it's an important distinction to know what you're good at, what you're not, and ultimately to appreciate bookmaking as a collaborative effort. And that goes too from the side of the editor, that the editor needs to listen to what the photographer is trying to get at, is looking for. And in that triangulation between an editor and the designer and the photographer, something really unique can happen. Ideas can be generated that any of us on our own would never have come up with somehow. And the more artists are asked to participate in the financial underwriting of books, which is something that I think is a very slippery slope to go down um, and I will say that, you know, Aperture has to fundraise for every single book. But we do not approach, I mean, we are not paid to play by any set stretch of the imagination. But we do engage a photographer in that process of of fundraising in different ways. And therefore, you've invited somebody into your process. And then it's a collaborative process from start to finish, I think
1: so much is gained from that collaboration that you described in my experience making books it's it, especially the first book i made it was transformational mm. the mm. the input and and how much it really reframed the body of work in ways that it's just you wouldn't have got there without it you wouldn't have got there without that sort of collaborative sort of uh, hive mind in some ways yeah for, for sure
2: And I also believe in expertise. You know, um, Mm. we are famously in a world where expertise has become somewhat maligned. I so appreciate the the huge body of knowledge that a designer might bring around. Well, this is a typeface that has this specific history and it was created in this manner. And so it is or it is not appropriate as a support device in this book. You know, things that we don't necessarily register, but somehow that messaging and the the semiotics of things like type and design elements and colour choices, we read them often unconsciously, subconsciously, but they exist.
1: I think what is always just so heartbreaking is when you see a great body of work which has been published and this doesn't happen all the time, but I do see it a lot, I think, especially because a lot of my interaction is with emerging and kind of newly established photographers. And you just, it's missing that nuance. It's missing all of that context that a designer or a great editor can bring. And even if it's a great body of work, you just think, oh, it could have just been so much more powerful had you had you made those right connections. And I think this is this is why I'm just I think it's so important to talk and try and ease that pressure that photographers feel that they need to rush get to do off. a book.
2: They need yeah, to just,
1: this I, I think the self-publishing pathway is really important and really and really vital and generative for so many people, but just really take your time to find and align with the right designer, not just the the one designer you know, I think I I just really want to stress that those details that you talked about are just so vital and how, how much they can elevate the work and sort of really ground it as well in those different areas of expertise.
2: And that's also why I think that if you have integrated the idea of thinking about how your image functions on a page and in a sequence and in a book form, then you're going to already come to those conversations with some sense of what you like, what you don't like, what you think works. And you can, you're probably in a better position to articulate and to understand also a response to that, that might say, well, yeah, but have you ever thought about it like this or like that? So I think these things work together in that, that way. Like the more you've learned the language of the photo book and of you know, you don't have to be an expert on typefaces and design, but at least to to know what's a serif, what's a sans serif, what are, you know, to respect the craft that mm. is used in making your book sing. There's, there's really nothing that stabs me more in the heart than when I see a great body of work that's just killed by the wrong decisions. And, and bookmaking is all about like problem solving and decision making and having those decisions unified in some coherent and yoked to some coherent vision and understanding how to do that by bringing experts who know about things like typeface or production and and stuff like that. And that's, you know, that's an investment to be sure. And that's part of the difficulty is that bookmaking isn't free But yeah, you can, you can learn a lot. You, you, on your own computer, you can learn a lot just by looking and closely reading books and spending time with books. I have to say that it's very surprising to me when people approach me and start wanting to talk about a book and they can't tell me what books they like or what do they see this on the bookshelf sitting next to as part of the same family or lineage of books or what do they not want to do that other people have done with books because that tells me that that person hasn't really engaged in thinking through what happens when you start to work with this form and what it will mean for their work
1: yeah that's very good advice. So Leslie, you have achieved so much. How do you, how do you keep challenging yourself? How do you keep like pushing the boundaries? Well, again, you know, I have found
2: myself as part of a structure and a system that I think is fundamentally predicated on not remaining a static system. For aperture to be what aperture is, it, has to keep exploring new territory, exploring new linkages to the past that um, perhaps take on different meaning. And I mean, that's my, um, what I prioritize as part of, again, Aperture's history and Aperture's present. And um, hopefully I help contribute to that. And even though what I do can be very tedious in terms of I do a lot of budgets, I do a lot of you know scheduling and tiny detail work. It's often within a new construct of a different set of problems to solve and a and new characters to engage with. Um, so yeah, somehow I've I've found a good place to keep learning, and that's important to me. I didn't go to grad school. I this yeah aperture has been my my grad school and my test tube incubator
1: to finish up I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show what matters more to you the process or the final product well I I hope that maybe over the course of this I
2: have confirmed that I don't think it's likely to get a very good final book as the end product without a good process and the good process starts with yourself and at home and reading and educating and looking and figuring out where where the conversation is and how you fit into it um and how what you do fits into that conversation absolutely
1: Um, well thank you so much leslie it was really great to speak to you Sure. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake, and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram, at jemfletcher, or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.